Welcome to Reading Mission, a live book club podcast where we read some of our favourite books about mission, justice and social change together. I'm Emily and with me as always is Mitch. Uh, before we keep going, let's pause and respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of lands and waters of Australia, wherever it is we're meeting from today, and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. So Emily, what are we reading tonight? Tonight we are finishing off When Helping Hurts. So we have read the last chapter and the final notes. So in Chapter 11, we have been looking at how we, as the church, can partner with communities both locally and globally in different ways. So, yeah, it's been pretty good. And we're also going to give our final overall thoughts and reflections on the book as a whole. So, yeah, I'm keen. Yeah. And before we jump in, though, Mitch, what's been your bright spot this week? Literally this week. Yeah, literally this week because we're uh, recording a little bit closer together than we normally do because I had to move one of our earlier ones, but we just wanted to get things wrapped up so we can have a little bit of a break before we hit our next book starting in September. But getting sidetracked, my bright spot this week has been that a board game arrived in the mail that I kickstarted like two years ago. Um which is oh, great cool. because it's it's this big board game that I know cost me a lot of money, but it doesn't feel like it cost me a lot of money because I paid for it like two years Ooh. ago and I've already completely forgotten about that because it was ages ago. Um so that arrived in the mail and got to unpack that and had my my brother and one of our friends from church over and we sorted out how it works and we played a game and everyone immediately ganged up on me and I completely lost, uh, but it was good fun and yeah, keen to play it again. So <laughs> it was nice. It's nice to just- So is that yeah. coming in your bag up to rise or is that not going to fit in your bag? <laughs> that would be my rise? entire carry-on luggage to take that up oh, to okay. Sydney for rise. All right. <laughs> All right, then. I guess we won't play that. I'll just have to bring some games then. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Emily? I'll have to be in charge of games, the one with the car. Um, my bright spot this week, I've got to think about what this week has been. Oh, on Friday, um, I got to hang out and catch up with my cousin who lives like over Parramatta way. So that was really fun. Got to hang out with her, just sit down and chat and hang out with her son who's like almost one. So that's always fun too when he woke up from his sleep. Um, And, yeah, so that was really nice, just nice to sit down and chill. And also got to see some friends who I haven't seen in a few months and their kids as well on Friday night. And these are kids that I've spent a lot of time with in the last four years. So, um, after not seeing them for a few months, it was very lovely to see them again. It was like the yeah. biggest hugs all around, big smiles, and I had a shadow all night after dinner. So <laughs> it was pretty fun. A three and a half year old shadow. <laughs> Did I tell that you? Great. Um, that was pretty great. That was pretty special. When we went over to our friend's place, who they have two small kids, like a early primary and a kindy girl. Um, my my wife Cassandra was eating dinner, and both the girls wanted to sit either side of her because they are completely enamoured with because her. Because that's prize place, it's prize place. Yeah. And the younger one, what she would do is she would take a mouthful of food, put it on her fork, put it in her mouth, and then just turn on her chair and just stare at Cassandra the whole time while she was chewing. That's just not doing anything, just staring at her. It was very. very funny. <laughs> Could you imagine if it was like an adult person would do that? How yeah. weird that would be. It would just be like so weird. take a spoonful of food and then just stare at the person next to you. But when it's when, when you're it, under the age of mm, when a two and a half year old, ten? Does it? yeah, 
<laughs> two and a half year old? Oh, yeah, then that's absolutely so cute. Extremely yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah. At two and a half, that is very cute. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, because we've only got one chapter to go and we sort of want to give um, some final thoughts about how we've found the book. This is going to be definitely a bit of a speed run through chapter 11. So bear with us as we sort of leave most of it out as per usual, <laughs> maybe a bit more than as usual. Um, but, yeah, it's um, definitely, yeah, it's it's once again a good grounding chapter in hmm. how we could put stuff into practice, which is very good. Hmm. So the the framework for this chapter is looking at Parkview Velo- Parkview Fellowship Church's ministry. So this is the church that we were sort of talking about, um, the analogy in the church we were talking about in the previous chapter, and how they're essentially in this section reshaping their ministries to be about working directly with. Um, people in the community at a household level, ministering to the community in materially poor communities in North America at a church to organisation level and then the same thing for churches in the majority world. So um, there's a lovely little diagram there at the bottom of page 223. Um, And so, yeah, the first idea we're going to sort of – So these are – Sorry, yeah, you go. I'll just jump in and just – these are three – modes of mission and of ministry that I think most churches would probably be engaged with. Um, and um, funnily enough, I was always thinking I couldn't help but think of our, our um, you know, embody mission statement or goal of being a community of young people passionate about and participating in mission locally, nationally and globally. This is kind of exactly what this is talking about, you know, locally, the, the people yeah, immediately yeah. next door to your your church building and your your home and all of that, you know, nationally going a bit further afield, but you're still well within your your country and your culture and internationally or globally even, um, you know, crossing cultures um, into mm. different countries and, yeah, being, you know, participating and supporting people there as well. So I think this is, yeah, I really liked this, this chapter in that it's, it's got, it's articulating advice and tips based on all the stuff that we're talking about that kind of do work at all those, those three levels of, of operating. Mm. Definitely. And I think that's the best bit about this chapter is it Mm. is things that work across the levels. Mm. Um, Yeah. So we're going to look at, the first level, which is working directly or sorry, directly working at the household level in North America, but obviously this is applicable in Australia as well. So insert your Western Western rich country here and, (laughs) um, yeah. So step one is to assess and mobilise the gifts of the church or organisation Step two, learn about the existing organisations and services in the area. Step three, adopt asset-based participatory first encounter policies. And step four, explore the possibility of starting a new ministry. So uh, I feel like a lot of those sort of sound a bit familiar because they are, because they are exactly the things that we have been talking about for the last two, three, four months, however long this book has taken us to read. Oh, it feels like a long time. Um, 
<laughs> but it's probably not as long. But I feel like everything's felt like a long time this year, yeah. so I have no perception of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, we're looking at, yeah, so we're looking at, at the, you know, the gifts of the church or the organisation that you're wanting to support and how can they be best utilised in the process. Um, and they give a couple of different ideas about how to do that. Um, and, you know, if you're looking at learning about existing organisations and services in the area, it's like don't reinvent the wheel mm. if it already exists. You don't need to create your own if something is already there functioning and working better um, because why? Why would yeah. you yeah. want to do that? Um, third step is adopt um, asset-based participatory first encounter policies. So looking at policies that, when you're maybe looking at partnering with a new group or organization or you see a need in the community, you can take a step back and sort of market against a set criteria of is this something we are have a capacity to serve in and with? Is this like how how is this somewhere we can actually serve our community well? Or is this somewhere where where we can't quite meet potentially the needs or the expectations that would be expected um, to sort of, I guess, prevent that thing of the yes man of going, yeah, let's do all the things and then it really not working that yeah. well. Yeah. And finally, explore the possibilities of starting a new ministry. So if you see a need in the community, it's something, you know, after you've gone through your policies and your checklists and your things of going, no, that's actually something we can do. How can you then serve your community doing that thing? Um, but I think a really important thing to note in that space is don't just start a new ministry without re-examining what you're already doing and where things might need where things that might have existed or exist need to give or change or be reshaped into something new rather than just adding one more thing onto the plate of the people running ministries because that's actually not helpful. It means everyone ends up getting spread be, being spread too thin anyway. Yeah, yeah. I love the, <clears throat> the, first, the first step of, of this, this four-step process is something that I'm really passionate about that kind of does tie, tie – ties into exactly what you're talking about, but like assessing – what your community, what your church has to work with, um, gifts, assets, people, um, expertise, experience, all of that stuff is a really good way of, of trying to, you know, get out in front of that, um, that scope creep and that, um, that burnout of that, that can happen when, you know, there are a million good ideas out in the world but you can't do all the good ideas. Doesn't mean the ideas aren't good. It just means that you are a finite human being with a limited capacity that might be a huge capacity, but it is still limited and you can't do all of the things. Um, you know, but I'll damn well try, Mitchell. Absolutely, absolutely. Give it a red hot crack. Give it a red hot crack. You are, you are talking <laughs> to someone who is terrible about doing all of the things there's a um this is a digression but there's i've i've noticed a bit of a, a <laughs> trend on tiktok recently that isn't so much a sound but it's like this this same joke of like when i was 16 i was in a sports club 
and I did, you know, uh, activities after school and I had three games of basketball on a Saturday and uh, I'm struggling to even think of things. And I went to uh, I went to two parties every every week. And and now that I'm 30, um, I get exhausted making coffee in the morning, <laughs> which I just deeply identify with because <laughs> I was that kid. That um, that teenager who was just oh. go go go, and like eighty percent of the stuff I was doing was church stuff. Um, but just there was something on every single night. And nowadays I'm like, oh my goodness, um, a, a prayer night at, at church. Well, better block out my week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> ditto, absolutely the same. <laughs> it's life group. Can't do anything else this week. That is my exactly. social activity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which is a really roundabout sort of sidetracked way of saying like, it's, it's really important when you are, um, you know, trying to step into this, this space of, you know, changing the world, that slightly problematic phrase that we talked about last, uh, episode, but you know, when you're stepping into this space, being really, um, realistic with your, your assets and your, um, your resources, both personal and organizational, um, it can prevent you from stepping into spaces where you actually don't have the capacity to do the best work or, you know, add something new to your repertoire. But it can also open up all these new opportunities of creative things that you'd never thought about before. Like that's going back to the asset mapping stuff in an earlier chapter that maybe I'll just do a quick check to see if I can work out which chapter that was so that I can direct people properly. Uh, <laughs> that have been chapter five. I want to um, say chapter five. You are yes. Correct. Well done. I am from, oh. from memory. But yeah, that, that asset-based approach in, described in detail in chapter five of this book, um, yeah, is, is a really good way of sparking really positive things and is also a really good way of preventing you from just going a bit mm. too far in, you know, saying yes to every good idea that comes across your plate, desk, table, view. I lost track of the metaphor there. <laughs> <laughs> Next aspect of, I don't know, ways of doing mission and development um, in a more sustainable way, we're going to look at um, working at the community level. So working between church and then churches in the uh, being, I'm going to say that again, partnering for development in the materially poor communities in North America slash Australia slash whatever Western country you are listening to this from. Um, So I'm going to read a few sections here just to, I guess, frame the conversation and because what we're going to be looking at is you know, how we partner for development at household levels in these communities and then also how we can partner for development at the community level too. So sort of looking at this from a dual perspective. So within the community it can be local and small but then also how it can be organisation to organisation too. Yeah, yeah. So just before you, you jump in there, Emily, can I just uh, try and add some clarity to what um, Steve Corbett and Brian Finkett are, are talking about with like household to 
compared to community stuff. So like a household program might be a, or a household working with a household might be a program that your, your church runs that um, sort of directly supports individual people or, you know, people as part of families. So for example, uh, like a, a food bank program or a, um, yeah, a, a budgeting program, a money skills program. These are these are household, direct to households, um, kind of things that your your church will probably take a direct hand in having people attend or going into people's homes and um, doing that with them. Whereas when we're talking more community level stuff, it is as you're saying, Emily, more um, organization to organization. But that might be you know working with local councils. And kind of working with that, working with other groups that are probably doing that household level stuff. Um, so that's kind of the So a perfect example, I just had a phone call today mm. from someone who works with a local community service um, and they do recovery, disaster recovery stuff. So yep. they were saying, we've got this person, you're, you were the contact point on for your church on the list. Would you still be? Do you guys still have capacity to help help out with some of this stuff? Because we've got this one person who needs a few help, a little bit of help with some household things, yeah. um, and that's a perfect example of um, organization to organization, which mm. then then goes down to to a household level because then it's like I'll coordinate some people to go and help this individual um, with the few jobs they need done around their house to help. Yeah. Um, support them in their recovery process. Yeah, nice. Because ultimately, all the stuff that we're talking about is about um, improving the lives or making the lives of people better, and like people, individual mm. people, and their families, and and groups of individual people. Um, but then we can get into well, what's the most uh, effective is a somewhat loaded word but what you know what's the most effective way to bring change in individual lives sometimes change needs to happen at a at a community level in order for change to happen at a mm. individual level sometimes it's individual first and then community usually it's it's all tied up mm. all in one it's really chicken and egg um but, you know mm. learning to kind of spot the distinction what are the what are the problems i can address at an individual level and what are the problems that need to be addressed at a community level is a really tricky um, part mm. of development. Um, and, I mean, usually the answer's both, as we've kind of seen throughout this book. Usually the, mm. the answer is um, there are stuff there is stuff that individuals can and need to do and there is stuff that uh, communities can and need to do in order to bring lasting change. Mm, absolutely. So I'm going to read now just from page 229 and I'm going to jump around a bit to a couple of um, different sections in this. So as Parkview's leadership team considered ways to be more developmental in all of its ministries, it began to reflect on its historic partnership with the Jubilee Centre, a Christian ministry located in Westside, one of the poorest neighbourhoods of the city. Westside have all the common features of a North American ghetto. Unemployment, crime, single-parent households, failing schools, deteriorating households, gangs, and worst of all, the absence of hope. 
For years, Parkview had been supporting the Jubilee Centre by sending volunteers to do things for Westside under the auspices of the Jubilee Centre. Once every quarter, Parkview's volunteers spent a Sunday repairing and painting houses, picking up trash and delivering baskets of food door-to-door. Given that Parkview considered it consisted of Caucasian, middle and upper class professionals and that Westside considered it consisted of low income African Americans, there was usually a considerable awkwardness between the volunteers and the residents. However, the staff at the Jubilee Centre, who had grown up at West in the Westside, had always welcomed the volunteers, so the volunteers had continued to go. Figuring that the awkwardness was a small price to pay for serving the Jubilee Centre in its community. So that's a good framing of how, you know, maybe things have always been the way they've been um, and no one has maybe in the past considered that maybe it doesn't have to be like this. Um, And then, yeah, the fun journey of going, well, does it need to be like this or can it be done differently? Um, And in this section it goes on to the ministry leader calling the Jubilee Centre and they're being like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad you've called because it's actually been really hard for this to happen because it sort of means we don't have the agency to be able to do these things and this these jobs that we can do for ourselves and we haven't known how to tell you because we don't want to, you know, hurt your feelings or we don't want your we don't want you we well, don't want to lose your support. Yeah. Going back to the core premise of what this book is, you know, is is what we're doing to help actually helping or is it hurting? Um, yeah. And, yeah. You know, and this is, you know, the the people of Parkview Church are on a on a journey exploring that and they're starting to wonder if maybe some of the things we've been doing historically have not been as helpful as we thought. And when they raise mm. it with Jubilee Centre, that is confirmed, which must have just been such a difficult conversation for the, the leader at Jubilee because the, the way oh. it's relayed to us here in this book is that, like, yeah, we've actually known for ages that um, – you you guys coming in once a quarter is not actually that helpful and is actually detrimental to what we're trying to do here. But, you know, and, and this is, this is really key. You know, we've talked power dynamics and we'll talk power dynamics again before the end of this chapter, but like Parkview holds the purse strings. Parkview is where the money is coming from. If you offend your, Mm. your key supporter, your key financial contributors, are they going to pull funding? And then what will you do? You know, is it, What's what's going to be more detrimental? Having some awkward mm. white people coming in to clean up once a quarter, or having no money? <laughs> like that's the mm. calculus for Jubilee Center, and that's you know that sucks. Yeah, yeah, totally, absolutely. They so Steve and Brian present us with a couple of op- options about how Parkview can. Um, Minister can partner. Partner is the better word. Yeah. How Parkview can partner with the Jubilee Centre. So the first is at a household level and I'm going to read from page 232. So the first option for the Jubilee Centre Center is to minister at a household level in Westside. If Jubilee chooses this approach, it can get started in a more asset-based participatory direction by simply following the same four steps that were outlined for Parkview in the earlier section of entitled directly working at household level in North America. This will likely result in the Jubilee Centre running ministries, e.g. 
jobs preparedness training in which it seeks to use the asset-based participatory approach with the individual households it is seeking to help. Parkview's role in this should primarily be a supportive one, letting the Jubilee Centre take the lead because Jubilee staff members are the ones who are working and often living in the community every day. Those staff members are usually the best in the best position to understand the community and to develop the long-term relationships that are essential to bringing the lasting change that is in the heart of the development process. Yeah, so once again, that just outlines exactly what we've been talking about for the last 10 chapters um, and that it's about, you know, it's not about not participating but it's participating in a way that might be different to what has previously been done and letting the community lead the development rather than the organisation coming in be the ones to lead the development. Yeah, and, you know, and recognising, yeah, yeah, and for, for Parkview as the the donor church, the supporting partner, um, learning to kind of let go of how mm. things look and how things work is going to be a big part of the the journey there um because you know the what what like a question is what is the the goal of parkview in partnering in it with an organized or partnering in a in a situation like that um if the if the goal for parkview is to um you know demonstrate how we are living out the gospel and so that people will see us and and love us and think we're fantastic which i don't think any church is ever gonna state as their goal but sometimes that is the that can be the unstated goal um we are after all only humans and we have egos and we like to be seen to be doing amazing things um yeah we like to stroke the ego um but you know or is the goal What's going to have the most lasting positive change? Who, you know, who actually needs to be empowered in this situation? And, you know, it's, it's the mm. local expression of mission. It's the local expression of ministry. It's, it's Jubilee Centre needs to have the credibility and the, the standing in the community in order to be able to effectively minister. Um, Parkview could storm in and decide... We also want the credibility, and we're going to put the put the effort in. But you know, we're talking about an outside community coming into, uh, uh, you know, into a a cross cultural situation within the same country, but still mm. a cross cultural situation. And I think something we've seen consistently through this book, something that I would strongly, strongly agree with, is a, um, you know, an indigenous, a local expression is going to be more effective. Uh, it's going to understand mm. the nuance and be able to respond more effectively. So, um, you know, Parkview needs to make space um, and, you know, making space is hard work because it requires giving up space. Mm. Absolutely. So the second option, so I'm now reading from page 234, um, the second option that the Jubilee Centre might choose is to pursue a more comprehensive approach to developing the Westside community. 
Unlike Parkview Fellowship, the Jubilee Centre resides in a well-defined geographic area whose systems, families, schools, businesses, churches, associations and institutions are simply not functioning at the level needed for a stable and flourishing community. In addition, a significant percentage of the residents in Westside are suffering from a sense of hopelessness and despair, feeling that they are incapable of acting, much, affecting much change in their lives. In this situation, the Jubilee Centre may decide to promote, a transform, uh, promote the transformation of the community as a whole through community organising process, which develops local leadership, relationships and momentum to bring a wide-scale change to the systems affecting the Westside community. So what does this look like? There's no single recipe and the process will take on a unique feature, will take on unique features as it informs, unfolds in any particular setting. Hence, it is important to keep the overall goal in mind. In essence, community organising tries to build a community partnership, a group of individuals, associations and institutions in a community that take actions together to mobilise the community's assets in order to address the community's problems over time. If the Jubilee Centre chooses to use this strategy, it might have the opportunity to proclaim and demonstrate the implications of Christ's kingdom to the entire community and seek peace and prosperity of the city. Indeed, Christians must engage with the community as a whole, including everything from the police department to the recreation centre to the grocery store, if we are to bear witness to Christ's reconciliation of all things. So, yeah, this is... This is looking at it at a different level again of the system change. So rather than the individual change, it's how do we change the systems or where do systems need to change and allowing the community to lead that change as well. Mm. Yeah. It's stepping into the role of facilitator and process leader and um, at almost shepherding in a way like there's there's a real difference between um a leader leaders who come into every situation feeling like they need to give the answer or they need Mm. to sort of direct what's going to happen you can you can you know you can spot them i've worked with leaders who will always come into a meeting with the answer that they want to land at but they know they're not allowed to just do the thing so they have to involve people but they know what the answer is um so you know you talk yeah. through and you try and, and everything's just trying to go through compared to leaders whose focus is actually i kind of don't care where we land we just need to go through this the right way we need to ask the right questions and we need to have the right information to work with and we need to um, in, involve the right voices and groups and, and stakeholders mm. and who will, you know, come into every in any given conversation with probably all sorts of ideas about what they'd like to see happen, but knowing that their voice is not the only voice and certainly well, it's not, not the most important voice and certainly not the only voice um, in, make, in reaching decisions so it's 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 interesting to think about um you know for for us in australia for for folks listening in their in their churches in their youth groups in their clubs or you know whatever whatever context sort of ministry or mission is taking for you like you know what does it look like to 
bleed process and to you know create spaces for for dialogue um mm. you know if if this if this systems change thing is something that is as appealing to you as it is to me and i think you as well emily um you know how do we how do we go about doing this and i think a big part one of the books i'd love to get to at some point in reading mission is a great book um called um creating a missional culture by jr woodward um which if you've uh looked at any of our mission community stuff is is referenced uh mm. there quite a bit and we yeah but like one of the the key uh, leadership giftings that is identified in that book is the the role of the apostle to just get out in the world and have conversations with people and link people together. And I think that that kind of thing mm. is a, that kind of apostolic leadership is really necessary for this. You know, if you want to be investing in systems change at community levels, you need those people who just kind of seem to know everyone. Um, Oh, yes. A two degrees of separation in any direction. Yeah. 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 You know those people that when you go out, they they know every barista at the cafe and they, you know, you're chatting with them about some local problem and they're like, oh, I know four people on local council who we could chat with about that and things like that. Yeah, those are the people that you need on side to do um, community organisers because – Fundamentally, yeah. you know, oh, every, and it's so unique yeah. as well. Yeah, because it requires being in a place for a long time, mm. or growing up in a place and never leaving that place. But then also being just connecting in different ways as well, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But being that kind of person that just likes doing stuff with people and appreciates social change and yeah. can get alongside people in different ways that might be yeah. outside the church and yeah. I think so much of the time we don't we take that for granted because there's not many people that are like that and you could there's probably like maybe a handful within a church that mm. would be able to do that really well. Mm. Mm. Um but it's not the once again the spiritual gifting or the gifting that is maybe promoted as much or it's sort of a it's sort of a I don't want to say brushed aside but just not as like it's out not a, there. It's not a is. Sunday morning gift. No. It's the, you know, it's the midweek having that, coffee with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you yeah, you don't, you don't see this kind of apostolic leadership very much on a Sunday because Sundays are inward looking in a good way. Like they are for mm. the, the community, the, the church community and the people mm. who, are, who are in. Whereas, yeah, I think mm. you're exactly right. Your, your apostles are out there during the week um, having coffee. and But not the same as evangelists either. No, that's right. Necessarily. Yeah. No, There's a distinction there they too. Are, no, they're not the same. They are, they're not the same giftings. Yeah. Um, a lot of people will be good at both, but a lot of people are good at a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. Mm. Um, Definitely. Because what, what we're talking about with, with all things, you know, I, I, I feel like I've beaten this drum a lot and I will probably continue to, but like, you know, the, our ultimate goal is a, restora- a full restoration of those four key relationships, relationship with God, relationship with others, relationship with creation, relationship with self. Um, mm. 
the our our ways of working are also reflections of that. You know, organizing is yeah. is about relationship. Um, mm. It's it's often a, a step abstracted when you're an organization working with another organization. You, you know, you're kind of doing your jobs and you've got policies and procedures and things like that. You're a little bit more separated, but the things that get things moving are really strong relationships and senses of belonging and networks mm. of influence and assets and resources and all of this mm. this good stuff. Um, Community wealth building stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like And you know what? That actually leads us really nicely into our next section um, when we're talking about partnering for development in the uh, materially poor communities in the majority world because the story, I'm not going to read this story because you kind of need to read all of it because it's really good. Um, but it, and it, it's quite long, <laughs> but it's very good. So I'm going to sort of paraphrase it. So the, I guess, International Ministers Ministries Coordinator, Dan from Parkview Church, um, decides to go to Kenya um, and he's sort of based out of Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya and is going into some Maasai villages and he's sort of like not sure what to expect because he's heard lots of stories about the Maasai people and, um, you know, the different cultural expectations on women and just different things that might not sit right with him. Anyway, he rocks up to this village and he sees these women dancing together and having a great time and he's like, what's going on here? This isn't like what I've been told um, or perceived to expect. And Mm. as he gets talking with these women, they're talking about the Savings and Credit Association that they have put together. So that's something we've, we spoke about sort of in chapters eight and nine um, where they could bring their savings together and make a pool of money and encourage each other to save and then pray about it. And out of this, there was um, a woman who was able to, I'm going to quote this bit here. So one woman testifies, I bought a cow with my loan of 20,000 Kenyan shillings, approximately $300, and then sold it. I got a good profit. When I finished this loan, I took up another loan of 20,000 shillings. I'm so happy. This has really uplifted me. I have now started another business of selling practice tests to students to help them prepare for their national exams. With the profits, I am able to pay for the school fees for my, um, pay for the school fees for my children. Yeah, the difference in this community is that, well, they say the difference is that Jesus is here in this community because they're a Christian community of Maasai people. Mm. And just the the change, this one project locally invested in project has made has li- helped begin to lift this community out of poverty, which is very cool. And um, as Dan is driving back to Nairobi, he's just reflecting on these people and, you know, that how much they've progressed and how much it's changed. And he thinks that they're very much like the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, I didn't look in that the up. Way do they you, can, does that, uh, do you immediately know what that means? <laughs> I didn't look it up. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 So, a problem, so it's sort of a bit of a, uh, I mean, depending on how it's used, yeah. it's very much like the female <laughs> ideal wife. Yeah. And in a complementarian yeah, sense, it's very much like she does the right things. But yeah. really when you read more of it, it's about like, you know, you're 
she's like working in the field and doing the things and bringing in income and, you know, very much, um, you know, being for God. So depending on the reading you take of it, depends on how obviously you would uh, (laughs) read it. But it's a feminist positive up reading of it. Reading it with it would be it's uh, women – sort of, I guess, carrying their family a bit and looking after them active in their community and doing things. So um, that's what I think when I read this anyway. It's like the positive aspect of that, of being. um, Empowered and capable. Yeah, yeah, empowered and and capable and not reliant on. Yeah, not reliant. Sit idly. Yeah. Yep. Um, What I think I love most about this, it just really echoes, well, exactly what we were just talking about then, that. This is a story of women lifting themselves out of poverty and therefore their mm. communities as well mm. um, because they have they've had the agency and to to do that they've either found that for themselves or you don't really I don't really get much of the context of how it happened to get to that point but the fact no, that um, it means you know story. yeah the the support being able to support the community in ways other than just, I mean, like maybe collecting water or feeding the kids, but it's about paying for school fees and then also, you know, providing educational resources for other students at the schools. And, um, yeah, it just so reminds me of when we hear different updates from the Churches of Christ Overseas Aid team, so our COCO team, and, like, I feel like we've heard at least three stories like this similar to this in the same vein, at least this year where, um, you know, women's, when women have been given the autonomy or the agency or the ability to be able to work or skills to be able to um, do things in the community and bring an income in maybe to the family, um, it really shifts their identity and it also then helps lift the community out of poverty too um, mm. because it's just better for everyone. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's very exciting. And that's what I love about this one. It, it seems to be a bit of an um, an adage or a, like just a bit of a rule of thumb or general advice in development world, but like investing in women and girls just brings so mm. much more transformation um, compared to programs that don't, um, you know, ensure that level of um, equality and co-participation. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be a, a consistent thing. If you're, you know, probably doesn't surprise many people listening, but if you want to change the world, empower women and, and girls. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's better Give women everyone. a voice. Yeah. So the final part we're going to read from When Helping Hurts for Reading Mission, um, season two of Reading Mission, is called <laughs> is called the Donald Trump effect. I was reading this section and I had to I had to turn to my <laughs> wife and I said, um, Cassandra, if you were writing a book about uh, international aid and development in two thousand and six and then revising it in two thousand and eleven. And you in America, and you needed to reference a rich person, and it kind of didn't matter who. You just needed the name of a rich person that kind of you thought most of the audience would know. Who would you pick? And she goes, 
It's Donald Trump in this book. <laughs> yes. Time has not um, been kind to the neutrality uh, to of To this, this reference. reference. To this, yes. Um, <laughs> imagine that Donald Trump, one of the richest people in America, shows up to the annual congregational meeting at your church in North America. He sits in the back and listens to your church leadership present its plans for your church for the next year. Just before the congregation is asked to vote about whatever, whether or not they adopt the plan, Mr. Trump raises his hand and says, Do the voice. I'd like to make a small suggestion. Coward. Do you want me to do it? <laughs> no. <I> don't want <laughs> you want me to do it? Do you don't want do me to do the voice? voice? No. Don't do the voice? <laughs> I'd like to make a small suggestion. I know some ch of some churches that have built gymnasiums as a means of community outreach. It seems to me like that strategy might work for your church as well. If the church is like most churches, a gymnasium would suddenly become part of your annual plan, even if it has not been on the radar screen for a few minutes till a few minutes before. Why? because everyone assumes that Mr. Trump might be willing to pay for this gymnasium. And who knows, as he engages more with your congregation, he might be willing to pay for even more things, including the things that you really wanted in the first place. So you add the gymnasium to your annual plan, and sure enough, Mr. Trump pays for it. But then he moves on, and now your church is saddled with a gymnasium it didn't really want, and then it does not have a sufficient financial or human resources to maintain. As a result, the ministries in your church really wanted to pursue suffer, and the gymnasium deteriorates over time. All of this because Donald Trump simply made a suggestion. And here is the punchline. Even the average North American who walks into the most materially poor churches or communities in the majority world is Donald Trump in that context. That's right. You are Donald Trump. Suggestions become new directions very quickly and the results can be harmful over time as the gymnasium was. Note that although this dynamic was present in Parkview's relationship to the Jubilee Centre, it is far, far more pronounced in Parkview's relationship with its partners in the majority world. This is this is the, the the clincher. Yeah. Yeah. In which we all become Donald Trump. Oof. <laughs> but this is what we were talking about earlier in terms of um having to give up a bit of bit of space and just being really alert to power and wealth and how that changes even the most innocuous little human interactions where it like it really shouldn't like it's just this this kind of stuff it just makes me sad that this is the reality um you know i i would love for a world well i would love for a world where um power and wealth are shared so equally that you know, you don't need to be alert to these kinds of things. And I say that, I would love that. That is the world that we're working towards. That's, that's the, the, this restoration of, of equality of relationship between people um, and you know, breaking down of those, those power dynamics that keep us stuck in those unhealthy relationship damaging dynamics. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the work that we're, 
all going towards. But we live mm. in now. I'm now I'm um, borrowing very theological language, but we live in the the now and the not yet in between um, God's human presence with us in the person of Jesus and ongoing presence, immediate presence with us in the through the Holy Spirit. Um, but not yet in the the full coming of the the kingdom of God in all of what it's going to be. Um, so, you know, we we still do have to navigate some of these mm. broken, uh, you know, those, these sinful dynamics of of power and these um, mistakes or accidents uh, of of history that uh, that were not accidents at the time, but for that for those of us who inherit them can feel like accidents mm. that place us above our our fellow people. Um, and so we need to be really conscious of these things and really working towards mm. them because, yeah, um, it's one of the things that makes, you know, intercultural stuff, but just just mission generally so so tricky is the is understanding that um you know, we come into spaces like this, we come into disadvantaged communities, we come into disadvantaged um, conversations with disadvantaged people out of a position mm. of, of privilege and that through no malice or intent can, if we're not careful and if we're not conscious of it, can really warp our interactions with people. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think ultimately, like, the gymnasium in this analogy mm. might not be a gymnasium. It might be in a majority world community. It might be building a school or digging yep. a well or yep. like planting a garden, planting a garden um, whatever the thing is. It's never with ill intent um, no. or no. bad motivation. Um, no. But it's then asking the question how can I? not be Donald Trump in this situation of just mm. throwing money and saying, here's my idea, will it like, and just going, this will be the solution or insert any rich multimillionaire, billionaire not even have it into yet. that category. Not even having to think um, it's the solution, but even just putting stuff forward, as we said, like, you know, mm. that, yeah, that, that same thing as earlier of like, there are a hundred good ideas out there, but not every good idea is the good idea you need to go with. Um, but mm. yeah, like, Sorry, Emily, keep going. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it. Um yeah. and I think it's a really interesting place to leave this discussion on. And a good place too, because it's mm. I think it leaves us with a question where do we in our ministries, in our mission, in our whatever label you want to put on that in that context, mm. um where do we hold power and where do we need to acknowledge that power exists and then proceed to not necessarily give it away but not use it in a conscious way. Mm. Yeah. Or ultimately dismantle um Structures and systems and histories that 
lead to an unequal distribution of power in the first place. But um, yes, you know, if there's if there's one thing, if there's one thing to take away from this book at its kind of highest level, it's that we need to be examining ourselves constantly while we're engaging in mission, in ministry, in justice work, in development work. Um, I, I think I think if there's yeah, it, there's nothing more dangerous than unexamined work, unexamined energy effort. Like we you know, it's not to say that we need to not do the things we're doing, or it's not to say that we need to never get involved and get engaged and because you know we we are mm. we are aiming towards those the restoration of those key relationships which means involving ourselves in the lives of the people around us uh, we can't mm. go oh it's too hard it's too dangerous too hard basket. to do mission um look at how look at all of the different ways i could end up hurting people i i won't do it at all that's that's mm. also uh you know that's that's i'll be i'll i'll be somewhat hyperbolic i'm not examining this too closely but you know that's just as bad that it's it's the unexamined stuff that um you know we we just need to be really conscious about these things while mm. we're while we're engaging while we are following god into the spaces and the work that god has prepared for us we need to be constantly praying um and discussing and talking and trying to you know be be better tomorrow than we were yesterday um even if mm, it's just the absolutely bit, that's all all we can do um, yeah yeah just to, like to just name a quick summary of the 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 final word the the last little half chapter in this in this book like the key thing is that our the the first and most important step is that sense of repentance of you know we have we have operated and we have lived out of our our god complex of no thinking we know what's best for people um we we have inherited a history of hardship and um you know unequal power and exploitation and mm. you know and that has positioned us badly to keep doing the work that God has prepared. Um, mm. You know, we need to be entering into any of these spaces out of a space of humility and repentance and um, prayer and discernment and walking with God in every every moment and every decision. Um, mm. Yeah, which, you know, doesn't have to be hard and miserable. In fact, I'd hope that it's not. I'd hope that walking yeah. with God in every moment and every decision is actually a pretty great way to do life. Um, I think that's mm. maybe a fairly key part of the Christian message, in fact. Yeah, I'd say so. So as, well, now we've come to the end of When Helping Hurts, yeah. instead of doing just a chapter reflection. Emily, we're finished. I know. What are you going to take away from this entire book? What's the stuff that? Or yeah, what's your overall mm. take on when helping hurts, and yeah, where are you gonna, yeah, what are you gonna do with what you've learnt, maybe? Mm. Or yeah, yeah. Look, I'm really glad that I read this book. Um, 
I think that it is definitely a book worth worth reading for anyone who's going to um, you know, be looking seriously at getting involved in mission, in justice, um, in mm. particularly church-based ministries. It's written for a church-based you know, mm. um, organisation and church-based leaders, um, so I think there's a lot of value there. There's a lot in the book that I um, was frustrated by and didn't uh, didn't resonate with or most often kind of kept kept reading and go like uh, I like where you land but I wouldn't have got there that way or I'm I'm I wouldn't mm. have expressed things that way like and that's you know that's literally just an expression of the the difference and diversity between me and the authors and that's that's fine but yeah um I think I I, I have fundamentally different approaches on some stuff than um, mm. Steve and Brian, and that's okay. And we are, yeah. you know, genuine, um, passionate Christians who just disagree about some, mostly articulation of some stuff, I think. Um, yeah, so, I'd agree. Yeah, where you place emphasis and things like that. Yeah, I think overall generally pretty good, um, but sometimes it just felt feels very American. Um, and, of course, it is yeah. because they're Americans, so that's yeah, the context they're writing Americans. to and from. So, like, you know, you've got to just take it with a grain of salt and, like, don't let this be your only influence of when that's it comes right. to mission justice and social change. Like, yeah. there are plenty of voices and this is one of many voices. And, like, in saying that, though, there are some excellent practical steps and tools in here that are just applying really good community development, social work principles and bringing that into a Christian framework, um, which is excellent. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really, really valuable book, um, and particularly particularly when it comes to those practicals because they are really practical and really yeah. um, not easy to implement because I don't think anything in this book is, is easy. No. But. But you know, very structured the, and straightforward in its yeah, and kind of those those key lessons. Like I've I've been scribbling stuff down as over the last couple of months as we've been reading. I'm like, oh, I'm taking this. I'm I'm applying this in you know mm. this is going to go straight into mission community stuff. There was stuff last week mm. in particular that I'm like, this is this is going into mission communities. Stuff that I've I've used at church in conversations and things like that. And, um, mm. You know, so much valuable stuff in there um so definitely yeah. definitely worth a read um but yeah yeah so yeah yeah so well, yeah. that's when helping, so that's hurts. When helping hurts well what's happening because we're off for a month um well yeah. two fortnights so in the meantime how can we get involved and get in in doing stuff and hanging out with us yeah. at embody yeah, so don't know if you've heard, Emily, but we're about to go into Safe Water September. Um, so What? No way. I know, crazy. So our, our annual fundraising um, challenge to drink just water for one month to raise funds for uh, locally led and implemented safe water projects in Zimbabwe, Vanuatu and Bangladesh, um, which we'd really love people to check out, safewatersepember.org.au. Love you to head over there. Um, consider taking the challenge. Uh, it will be good fun. But 
because it's Safe Water September, um, and that's obviously a really big deal for us, we're going to be spending uh, a lot more time on the Discords over August and September. Um, we've got a, a calendar of activities that'll be happening uh, starting in August, but really like a lot more in September itself. In particular, we'll be running through a uh, Safe Water September Bible study, one of the ones that we've written for the challenge. Uh, we'll be going through that study together as a Discord community on, um, on Tuesday nights, fortnightly, uh, starting in mid-August and ending at the end of September. Uh, we'll also be doing some fortnightly like games nights, just really casual, hanging out, playing some games that everyone can do on their computers or on their phones um, and just chatting and getting to know one another a little bit better. So if you're looking for a space to hang out during August and September, if you're looking for a community that is as passionate about mission, justice and social change as you are, um, we'd love for you to join us there. The links to the Discord and uh, what's going on is in the show notes. Um, so do encourage you to check out that. Um, but then, so for Reading Mission, we'll be taking August off. There won't be a new season of Reading Mission until we start back on September 6th, which is the first Tuesday of September. But we will have, uh, in the meantime, do encourage you to head over to our other podcast feed, Mission Unplugged. Uh, we'll have uh, interviews coming up this month and next Um uh, of really interesting people who are engaging in the stuff that we've been talking about here on Reading Mission um, that you can listen along with and, you know, meet some new people, meet some interesting people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, ages, stages, and, yeah, uh, gen generally have a pretty good time meeting some fascinating people and hearing about what God is up to through their lives. Um, and, then, yeah, I guess for... Folks listening, probably the most important thing is what's our next book going to be, Emily, when we start back on September 6th? Our next book is going to be The Plum Tree in the Desert, and this is 10 Stories of Faith and Mission to Inspire You. So this book is one by one of my favourite Christian authors, um, Naomi Reed, and um, she's Australian, based in Sydney, um, and was a missionary for a bunch of years with her husband in Nepal and she's written a whole lot of different books. Um, this one is about ten stories of people that she's met through InterServe, um, which is a mission organisation, and just their stories about faith and missions. So, um, yeah, jump on that. You can get Naomi's books, um, Kurong, jump on her website as well, and you can everywhere. find them pretty much anywhere. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading this because I haven't read anything of Naomi's in a while. And, um, yeah. That'd be nice. I'll be jumping in completely fresh. Yeah, so I always love reading her stuff because it's so easy to read and accessible and she just is so generous in her writing of stories and of people's stories. So, um, yeah, come and listen and get involved in that because I don't think you'll be disappointed. And if you find that you like the way she writes, there's plenty in her catalogue to read <laughs> and get into after that as well. So, yeah, it's very good. So That's great. So. Yeah, we hope you'll join us over August and we'll uh, see you back here in September for the next season of Reading. And us for the last time for When Helping Hurts, season two of Mission Reading Mission. Christ with you, Christ before you, Christ behind you, Christ in you.
Christ beneath you, Christ above you. Christ on your right and Christ on your left. Christ when you lie down, Christ when you sit down, Christ when you arise. Christ in the heart of every person who thinks of you. Christ in the mouth of every person who speaks of you. Christ in every eye that sees you and Christ in every ear that hears you. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll see you in a month for Reading Mission. Thanks for listening to Reading Mission, a podcast by Embody. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review so more people can find us. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Every episode of Reading Mission is recorded live in our Discord server. So if you ever want to join in the live discussion and connect with other people exploring mission, justice and social change together, head to embody.org.au forward slash discord to join in. Embody is a national community of young people passionate about mission locally, nationally and globally. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at embodyau and visit our website at embody.org.au. All the links are in the show notes. Embody is part of the Global Mission Partners family. We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters of Australia and pay respects to elders past and present. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture. Music in the show is by Joshua Ward and we'll catch you next time and thanks heaps for listening to Reading Mission. Reading Mission.